Welcome to the Subscription League, a podcast by Purchasely. Listen to what's working in subscription apps. In each episode, we invite leaders of the app industry who are mastering the subscription model for mobile apps. To learn more about subscriptions, head to subscriptionleague.com. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. I'm super excited because today we have Evelyn Mosco with us. She's been at Blinkist for about five years, maybe six now, actually. Six already. Six already. Awesome. And she's been the first product manager over there. And she's mostly worked on conversion and growth, which is exactly the topic that interests us. So Evelyn, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe about Blinkist too? Yeah, so I've been at Blinkist now for six years in product management overall for almost 10 years now, which is unbelievable to me. (laughs) Yeah. I live in Berlin. I love karaoke. I love table foosball, which is, I think, a given when you work in a Berlin startup. <laughs> and yeah, Blinkist is the number one destination for lifelong learners. So our core product, I would say, is what we call our Blinks. They're basically short form summaries of nonfiction books. We also have a second content line now, which we call Shortcasts, which is summaries of podcasts. Nice. And one thing you didn't mention, but that I picked in your LinkedIn bio is in there, you say that you're passionate about data and weirdly in love with A-B testing. Can you tell us more about why you love A-B testing so much and what limitation do you see to A-B testing, if any? Yeah, I always get asked about this. Uh, I think it's like maybe a bit weird phrasing, but yeah, (laughs) I just love A-B testing because, you know, it really helped us and enabled us to really crack basically the conversion problem for us. I think it's a great tool to optimize funnels, to optimize flows. And yeah, it's just really shows you exactly like what works. So you don't get more real life in terms of testing than an A-B test. But yeah, I mean, you already alluded to it. There are definitely limitations to A-B testing. I think what I always say is, you know, A-B testing is great for optimizing, but never for like really big bets, for big innovation. So those big jumps that, you know, really lead you towards your big vision will never be able to A-B test. Interesting. So it kind of gets you to a local maximum and then you have to make a bigger bet to keep moving. How on those bigger bets, what do you do? How do you measure success since you can't A-B testing? How how have you approached it? Yeah, it's a very tricky question. So, I mean, what you do when you go away from A-B testing is, you know, you kind of like flip the script. So when you A-B test, you basically go where your users go and, you know, the product follows. But if you want to go with these big bets, it is the opposite. So whatever you implement is supposed to influence the behavior of your users. Of course, that's really hard to measure. What I definitely recommend to every company is to have like a North Star metric that really the whole company is working towards. It usually should be an engagement uh, related metric in subscription businesses even more so. And, you know, that metric should basically lead the way. But of course, you know, oftentimes with these metrics, they can be very lagging. I can give an example from Blinkist. So our Nostar metrics metric currently is what we call power customers. So you count as a power customer if you have four content interactions within a month. So it kind of translates into a weekly habit. But, you know, if you only have like four interactions in one week, then you will also count as a power customer because we believe, you know, that, you know, it's just like you have to get into this habit. If it's like a monthly or weekly habit, doesn't really matter. Four content connections definitely gives you enough value. Now, of course, if you think about it, four interactions per month, you know, that's super lagging. You know, if you want to test something, you know, you cannot wait months to see if that was actually influenced. So for that, definitely, I would say you have to find those leading metrics, which correlate with your Nostar metric. We call them proxy metrics here at Blinkist. Okay. And what are examples of proxy metrics that you guys use? 
One, for example, is because, you know, I already mentioned it kind of translates to a weekly habit. So that is like a very obvious proxy metric as a stand-in, especially like in the beginning of the subscription. You know, we have a seven-day trial in the beginning. So for us, you know, it's almost a given that somebody will have a content interaction in their trial. But then the proxy metric we use to actually predict if a user becomes a power customer is do they come back after the trial in the week after the seven days? Interesting. And, you know, that's just a super, it's super quick to measure, you know, like in, within two weeks, you can basically conclude an A-B test. Yeah. And as you said, like during the trial, there's very high chances that yeah. they will try the contents, but do they come back? Yeah, exactly. And so you've talked about how you love A-B testing and there's, you know, the need for bigger bets and metrics to measure those bigger bets. So I'm curious, the combination of A-B testing and bigger bets, like how has that impacted the Blinkist subscription flow? Yeah, quite a lot. So I think one really big bet that we tried in the subscription flow was the seven-day trial. So before that, you just came into Blinkist, you just had like three days uh, kind of free without actually having to give a credit card or anything. And then, you know, you needed a prompt to actually subscribe after those three days. I think it was in 2017 where we started really testing all of these different sign-up flows. And yeah, we tested a lot, like also really big bets. We started out with actually like a hard paywall. So you really could not enter the app without giving us your credit card and starting a seven-day trial. So yeah, I, that's also like a recommendation I can give. Always start with your riskiest bets first. Uh, one of our founders once called this disaster-driven development. <laughs> uh, was really quite funny. So yeah, that, we actually did A-B test this big bet. But of course, you know, you will have to adjust your metrics. So for example, before our metric was day-free purchase rate. You know, once you have a seven-day trial, that doesn't make sense anymore. So, you know, it's really hard to compare in the end, which is, you know, what makes it a big bet. You know, there's no real comparison when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was like definitely one of the bigger bets. But we once, you know, we landed on this flow, which has like, we call it soft paywall. You know, you can enter the app, take a look around, but then you will have to start a seven-day free trial. You know, like once we saw, yeah, this is really big, then we started optimizing through like more A-B testing, you know, did like shorten the funnel, we changed our messaging, we changed where we actually show the paywall. In the end, you know, that was a really, you know, it's a really successful flow that we actually still have in the app. But then there's also other big bets that you really cannot A-B test. For example, I mentioned in the introduction that we also have shortcasts, which is, you know, short form podcasts. That was a really big bet. And how do you A-B test that? It's a completely new content format, of course. So, you know, it's like a vision that we've built towards. And, you know, it's even hard to really A-B test our way to this vision because in the end, you know, you need a certain amount of content in the app too. So you have to just believe in that vision and work towards it. Yeah, uh, that's great. Are there learnings that you can share with us on your subscription flows, like things to avoid maybe? Yeah, things to avoid. One thing that I would definitely avoid is to believe that once you tested something, it becomes the truth forever. And this was a really big learning for us. One example, I already mentioned it was the seven-day trial. So when we tested it, we of course tested it basically globally. But even though it was kind of a success in Germany, our German users weren't really accepting of it. You know, like we got a lot of negative feedback. People thought that, you know, this trial is kind of like a trap that, you know, that we want to scam them. So in the end, we rolled it out in the whole world, except for Germany. But then, you know, times change, your audiences change, circumstances change. And after two years, you know, Netflix and Spotify really gained huge adoption in Germany. These subscription models just gained more acceptance in Germany. So two years later, we tested it again. And yeah, it turns out after that, it was a huge success. So now we finally have like this our subscription flow consistently over the whole world again. Probably makes your life a lot easier now. Oh yeah, Jesus Christ. Always having this... 
Germany, uh, in Germany we say Extrawurst, that was definitely a pain. <laughs> Another example I can give was our onboarding. So this was also something that uh, we tried to crack for years. We always want to have an onboarding where we ask users their interests, their intents, and then, you know, personalize the experience based on that. Just to give like also like a very more personalized trial experience. But for some reason, it always hurt our conversion rates when we introduced an onboarding like this. But then after I think two years of experimenting here and there, of course, with breaks in between, we decided to remove our signup step. So before to enter the app, you really had to create an account. We removed that and suddenly creating an onboarding worked. And, you know, it wasn't just enabling us to personalize the experience, but it actually also helped with conversion rates because we had this space to really convey our value propositions to the users before they even see the subscription screen. So yeah, that was another great example that things change. Interesting. And having a hard sign up or having a soft sign up that happens later is a debate that we've talked about with a few guests, actually. And so I'm curious that removing that hard sign up, did it change the longer term metrics that you might have? Or did it only improve the metrics that you guys were measuring? Yeah. So of course, you will have to think about the trade-off that you're taking. If you get emails early on from users, you know, you always have possibilities to reach them via email, maybe do upsells later. Also, you know, it helps with the engagement. In the end, once we removed and we saw like the numbers that we get from users, I did like a calculation. What happens if, you know, we cannot get any lagging conversions through emails anymore that included Black Friday and everything. And it was still a success in the end. You know, it was still like uh, more money in the bank than without it. So yeah, it was actually like a huge success even in that direction. Interesting. But again, things change. So who knows? Yeah, it's different per market and per segment and all that good stuff. So hmm. you alluded earlier that Blinkist is present on multiple markets. And initially in Germany, at least you weren't doing the trial subscription part. Now that everybody has the same subscription model, how do you adapt the subscription flow and maybe even the subscription offering to each market today? Yeah, so we basically have two major localizations that we do. One is language. So in the app, we actually have German and English as languages. And only if you are like in a German speaking country, you will get basically the German content. So this is the number one localization. But of course, you know, for Germany, that doesn't just mean we translate American authors and American books, you know, call it a day. You know, we also have like German authors and the German books. We have German podcasts. So, you know, for us, the localization in Germany means so much more than just translating. And I think this is also the key to our success in Germany. Germany is like, in terms of engagement, for sure, our most successful market. But then, of course, there's the other part, which is the pricing. So we did price test, I think, in 2018, which really helped us find like the correct price point for each market, which really is super important. But we also saw that, you know, pricing is definitely a necessary condition to for success in a market, but it's not sufficient. So we saw that, you know, we can make like small bumps, especially like the emerging markets through price, but it's not all. So if I think about, for example, Brazil, you know, it's like a huge market, but I think without Portuguese as a language, I don't think that we will be able to really crack it. Thinking about India, there's like this really thriving nonfiction book scene, especially in the business book market. And, you know, we have like a lot of career optimizers that use our app. So without actually integrating these Indian authors into our catalog, I also don't think we'll really crack the Indian market. Not even just that, it's also just, you know, think about what kind of phones users have. So India, the Indian market is really notorious for deleting an app after just a few taps. 
So, you know, you have like way less time to actually convince users. The reason for that is they have devices that, you know, have like very little storage space. They're not convinced by an app. It doesn't linger around. They really delete the app immediately. I mean, of course, that also means you have to think about the storage that your app would actually take up on this device to make it even more enticing to download. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so... To get back on the subscription front, when I get a subscription, I know I usually take my phone out and go to a reminders app and add a reminder to cancel or check the subscription before, you know, the trial ends and I just have to start paying so I can review and really decide whether I really care about that. Can you talk a little bit about subscription fear from some users and what you guys do about what I do? <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite topics. This has really been a topic for us for years. So we always try to keep a backlog of the user problems we want to crack and we get them snappy titles. And this was always called trial anxiety. So we saw the exact same behavior. Users that do start the trial cancel on the very first day, just a few minutes actually after subscribing. But there's also a lot of users that never even start the trial just because they have so much anxiety about being charged accidentally. And oftentimes it already happened to them. So, you know, there's history there that we need to overcome. So totally understandable, you know, like who likes auto renewals? <laughs> who likes to be charged immediately? What we always knew that we wanted to do is basically be fair and be transparent. It's like one of our company values too. And in the end, we decided to implement a reminder on day five. So first, when we implemented this, we didn't even advertise this reminder. We just launched this push notification and email to users on day five. They got this reminder, hey, you will be charged in two days. People who have already canceled also get a reminder. For them, it's like, hey, your trial ends in two days. Maybe you want to resubscribe or like make the best of your last two days. Basically, it's uh, some encouraging messaging like this. And what we saw is even without advertising this reminder, the trial retention went up. So, you know, just like being transparent with these users already created like this relationship to the brand. And I think also the usage reminder really helped. But yeah, then once we started advertising it on the subscription screen, it was really a huge success. Trial opt-in rate went up like crazy. And I really loved that, you know, we were able to set this precedent, you know, of like, hey, what's good for your user is good for your brand too. Yeah. It's good for your business. You know, we're actually making more money because we were transparent with the users. I really love that. There's a lot of companies that are actually copying the screen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's also something I'm really proud of that, you know, we could actually set this industry standard there. Yeah, we'll do our part in spreading the message <laughs> yeah. around the messages. I saw. <laughs> One thing that every business that's based around subscription want is to keep their users as longtime customer. Hmm. You have to help your users form a habit in a way around your product if you want them to stay in your app for a long time. How do you achieve that with Blinkist? Yeah, this is definitely the hardest part of working in a subscription business, the long-term habit. Mm -hmm. I think what we see with our most successful users right now is that they have a lot of intrinsic motivation and also these intrinsic triggers. I interviewed this one user and we asked him, yeah, like, when do you typically use Blinkist? And he said, all the time. Like, I don't understand the question. You know, like, hey, I'm, I have some downtime. I use Blinkist. I'm mowing the lawn. Yeah, I'm using Blinkist. Just, you know, like, for him, it was just so normal that, you know, any time where he has, like, has to use his hands, you know, Blinkist is on in the background. He will just listen to Blinks and learn something new. Those are, of course, the users you want because, you know, they just get Blinkist. They just get our value proposition. They just get that every downtime minute that you have can actually be time well spent where you really learn something new, you know, like can follow your curiosity. But yeah, and of course, that every user is like that from the start. So for us, it's important that we do this education, you know, that, you know, hey, you think you don't have time to use Blinkist, but you actually do, you know, like all you have to do is habit stacking. 
you know, just like if you are like going on the U-Bahn, you know, instead of listening to music, maybe you want to listen to Linkus and, you know, really use that time pocket to learn something new. But education alone is definitely not enough because people also need triggers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the hooked model, but this is something that, yeah, is really helpful for us to really understand how habits are created. You know, for this one user I talked about earlier, you know, just taking out the lawnmower, that was enough as a trigger for them because this is where you want to get. But, you know, other users may need an external trigger. For example, one user said that he would probably forget about Blinkist if it wasn't for the email. Every Friday we send out an email with recommendations. And yeah, every time you find something super interesting there. And that's his trigger to actually go back and use Blinkist. Yes, yeah, there's good way to remind them that you guys exist and provide lots of value. Yeah. It sounds like you've done quite a bit of customer interviews over the years. And I'm sure you guys have built some personas probably at Blinkist. Hmm. How have those personas translated into the Blinkist app? Yeah, so right now I'm actually not using personas anymore. We kind of work with motivations. And through all of these interviews, we identified three main motivations. One, I think I mentioned it already, is the career optimizing motivation. So, you know, those users that really think that all of these nonfiction books can help them with management, with leadership, with success, and really start using Blinkist to advance their careers. Then we have another motivation, which we call the life optimizers. So that's how to be a better parent, how to be more productive how to eat healthier. So kind of like this more life optimizer uh, idea. And then the third one is what we just call a curious explorer. They just want to broaden their horizons, broaden their knowledge, or just curious about new ideas. You know, just use Blinkist to kind of satisfy that urge for like new ideas. And yeah, in terms of how it influenced the app, we actually translated it into our onboarding tool. So if you download Blinkist, which I definitely recommend, uh, <laughs> and go through the onboarding, you will see that at one point we ask you some questions and we take them as a cue already to like know who you might be. You know, we ask like, how, what categories do you actually want to follow? And if you say, you know, leadership and success, then you're more likely to be a career optimizer. If you choose more like psychology or personal development or biography, then you're more likely to be just a curious explorer. And yeah, based on that, we can definitely, you know, already personalize your experience, give you the right content, all of that. Hmm. And so Tim Cook is one of the most well-known users at Blinkist. Which persona does he, well, I guess not persona motivation, does he fall into? He's probably a career optimizer. I would say he optimized his career quite well. <laughs> you did a good job. That's true. And on a more serious note, Blinkist has been featured multiple times by Apple. How has that helped Blinkist? Yeah, they have been really supportive in featuring and, you know, really helping us getting the message out. I think the number one reason or number one thing that comes out of being featured is brand awareness. So, you know, if you know, an ad hits up a potential user on Facebook. If they've already heard of Blinkist because they saw it, for example, as featured as the app of the day, now it gives them way more trust. You know, hey, this is not some scammy app, but Apple actually mentioned them already and recommends them. So it really helps just to like, you know, build that message and that trust in their brand. Of course, we also get like a lot of users from these features too, but, you know, because then you know, it's just such a broad targeting that, you know, in terms of conversion, it's maybe not the best tool to, you know, get more conversions in, but definitely for awareness. Great. Those were all the questions that we had for you. Awesome. So if people want to learn more about you or Blinkist, where can they go? I would say to learn more about Blinkist, definitely definitely just download the app and, you know, try it out. I actually have a code for you. So if you go to Blinkist.com slash friends and enter the code subscription leak, no dashes, everything minor, then you can actually try it for three months for free. So yeah, hopefully you will do that. And if you want to get in contact with me, you can find me on LinkedIn.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Evelyn. Those were some great answers and we really appreciate you coming to talk to us. Thank you. On behalf of the Purchasely team, thank you for listening to the Subscription League podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or other audio platform. To find out more about Purchasely and how we can improve your subscription business, visit Purchasely.com. Please hit subscribe in your podcast player and don't miss any future episodes. You can also listen to previous episodes at subscriptionleague.com. See you soon.